Welcome to the Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. This is episode 13, The Ancient Concept of Just War in Modern Conflict, and I'm your host, Chris Mayer. Previous podcasts address the notion of war itself and the enduring rules that seem to govern the conduct of war. The next few podcasts will address overall issues of morality and ethics in war. Can the destruction in war ever be justified? Is war always morally repugnant? Is it simply, as Thucydides described in the Melian Dialogue, a matter of the strong doing what they will and the weak suffering what they must? Or, as the Romans portrayed it, can war be considered an act of justice? These questions vexed philosophers and theologians from Plato to the present day. The answers affect everything from the decision to go to war down to small unit tactics and include things like the role of artificial intelligence, cyber war, civil military cooperation, and even the composition of an army. In the next two episodes, I'll address the notion of just war, how the just war framework continues to evolve, and if that framework still applies to modern conflicts. This podcast describes the basics of just war philosophy, and in the next episode, I'll discuss its applicability in the modern context with an expert on that subject. At the beginning, we have to understand that the concept of just war has two components. The Latin phrases jus ad bellum, or justice in the act of going to war, and use in bello, or fighting the war using just means and methods. Today, and in the next podcast, I'm only going to address the first, use ad bellum, or what makes going to war acceptable. Use in bello is the foundation of the laws and customs of war, and those will be addressed in a future podcast. In the Melian Dialogue of Thucydides' The Peloponnesian Wars, he presents the concept that the strong do what they will and the weak suffer what they must, as the small island of Milos must suffer from the demands of Athens, and that justice only applies in contests between equals such as Athens versus Sparta. Almost two millennia later, Thomas Hobbes expressed similar thoughts with his Leviathan. A century or so after Hobbes, Karl von Clausewitz described the notion of total war, an unbridled use of power without restraint. The difference is that Clausewitz did not advocate for unrestrained use of violence. He only used it as in a case of an extreme which would not exist in practice, nor would it even be desirable. Clausewitz noted that many factors exist to constrain war. In fact, without such constraints, the destruction in war would completely negate any positive outcome of going to war in the first place. Although a lesser concern for Uncle Carl, the desire for legitimacy is just one of these constraints, going back to the Roman Republic and critically important today. The just war framework provides guidance for that legitimacy. In On War, Clausewitz uses the analogy of two individuals engaged in personal combat to describe the larger principles of war. Similarly, the laws justifying the use of deadly force and self-defense parallel the just war framework. Just like the law of self-defense, the principles of just war have developed over time, adapting to changes in the political, social, and technological environments. The first requirement of the just war framework just as it is in self-defense, is to have the right intent. In self-defense, the intent is not to kill another human being. The intent is to preserve your life or the life of another. Similarly, 
national self-defense or the defense of other nations would, in most cases, have the right intent for going to war. Use of force to further national or personal interests for revenge and to subjugate otherwise peaceful peoples, such as Athens versus Milos, would of course not meet this requirement. Ultimately, the right intent for any war must be a just and sustainable peace. The second criteria is just authority. It cannot be a private war. The war must be declared by and operate under the control of a legitimate authority. What constitutes a legitimate authority is subject to a lot of discussion. For the United States, it could be the President, Congress, and the people acting together. It could be the authority of a collective group of nations, such as the United Nations responding to the attack on South Korea in 1950 or the first Gulf War in 1990. Considerations of what a just authority is also includes when some entity loses its legitimate authority and that passes to another. For example, the justification cited in the American Declaration of Independence. These two elements, right intent and just authority, were the foundation of just war theory by Christian apologists under the Roman Empire. As time went on, additional criteria were developed to assure that just authority was, in fact, acting justly. The next element is the criteria of just cause. Although right intent is essential, it is not enough. War will result in considerable death, destruction, and damage to the social order. There must have been some great wrong that was done to that nation or that nation's vital interests to justify the death and destruction of going to war. This should be great enough that other members of the international community recognize that wrong and the need to take action to stop it. This is followed by the criteria of last resort. Because of the death and destruction attendant to war, going to war must be a last resort. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that all possible means short of war were tried and failed. There may not be enough time to try alternatives to war, such as defending one's own country against an invasion, or if the alternatives are likely to fail given the past behavior of the other state. Again, there's a parallel here between war and self-defense laws. This is followed by the criteria of proportionality. Now, this was incorporated into the just war framework in the light of the mass destruction of the wars of the late Middle Ages and Renaissance. In proportionality, the inevitable evil effects from going to war should not be greater than the positive good from restoring justice through war. This is very difficult to assess in the analysis leading to war. Many effects, ill and good, are unforeseeable. The important thing should be that the evil acts that establish the just cause for war are perceived as greater than the evil effects that result from the war itself. In other words, more evil will come from not going to war than by going to war. The criteria of discrimination is a logical outgrowth of proportionality. In going to war, a government should be able to take prudent measures to limit harm to non-combatants. This has both legitimacy and utilitarian aspects. Writing in the aftermath of the continent-wide destruction of the Napoleonic Wars, Clausewitz remarked, Civilized nations do not put their prisoners to death or devastate cities and countries. There are more effective ways of using force than the crude expression of instinct. 
There is a moral repugnance in deliberately or even unnecessarily killing innocent people. There is also the aspect that these civilians and the civilian infrastructure will be necessary to secure the peace and not generate long-lasting hatred. Clausewitz wrote that the end result in war is never final. We must avoid doing things that will cause the population to regard defeat as a momentary evil and generate the hatred that will bring war in the future. The most recent addition to the Just War Framework is the principle of a reasonable hope for success. If it is unlikely that the good intended by going to war can be achieved, then the act of going to war will only lead to an increase of the evil effects that come from the war without ending the evil acts that were the just cause for going to war. There are times, however, when even a slim hope may be enough, particularly in matters of self-defense where the not going to war would certainly lead to the extinction of your own nation or maybe that of another people. Also, going back to Clausewitz, as long as side A is not defeated, there remains the possibility, however slim, that side B may defeat side A. And certainly the example of the American Revolution demonstrates that. So these are the criteria of the just war framework. Proper intent, just authority, just cause, last resort, proportionality, discrimination, hope for success. Rather than being fossils of pre-modern civilization, they have continued to develop over time. They parallel current laws of self-defense and form the basis for the existing laws and customs of war. Next time, I'll ask a true expert on just war and a good friend of mine to describe how this framework continues to apply in modern conflicts. Please come back for that. <laughs>